Hello and welcome to another episode of The Pursuit of Outdoor Clues. I'm in my local woods, still under coronavirus lockdown, but something a little bit different today. I'm going to be staying entirely still. I've come to a deer high seat, one of the high chairs, in this case built up against a a beech tree and used by the ranger to control deer numbers with with a rifle and it has a few advantages um, it lifts the ranger above the scent of the animals which is one of the reasons I love to come here as well it's approaching six o'clock mid-April still the the sun is a bit high for us to see a lot of deer if we're lucky we might see one but my plan in as much as I can call it that is I'm just going to sit here until I spot something that I consider a really good clue something new or a new and fun example of one I know already fantastic weather at the moment blue skies, lots of sunshine and I'm just taking in the the wind I'm feeling being in a woodland it can be quite quite variable as we're nearly always caught up in the wind's eddies it's a bit of a gust up there but there's a there's a northerly wind if we put those two things together totally clear blue skies uh, and the northerly wind it's a very good forecast means there's a pretty good chance we're in a high pressure and if the wind's from the north with a high pressure system it means the long-term forecast is good because with a with a high pressure system if you put your back to the wind the center of the high is on your right so if we've got a northerly and you put your back to it and you stick your right hand out you're going to be pointing west and since most of our weather moves over us from the west When you've got these very, very clear skies and lots of sunshine, a northerly, although it can feel quite fresh and and the wind today is is quite fresh, is a sign that you could be in for a few days of very good weather. The opposite, a southerly, of course, means that the centre of the high pressure is, again, you put your back to the wind, stick out your right hand, it means the centre of the high is, is well east of you and most of the weather moving from west to east that's a sign you need to be scanning the the blue skies for for cloud signs then because there's a pretty good chance that you're going to lose your high pressure and possibly a low or or some other fronts might barge in and take over just been doing my first casual scan and the first thing I'm picking up which is so easy to spot but equally easy to miss is that dead ahead of me uh, I'm looking very close to west and the sun is breaking between the tops of some beech trees so when I look to my right 
I'm looking north, but I'm actually looking at the south side of the trees, mainly beech, a couple of small yew trees in the middle distance, a few holly, a couple of hawthorn, but mainly beech. And as I look to my right, as I look north, I'm looking at the south side of mainly beech trees and they look very clean. There's barely anything growing on the on the bark itself. There are a few lines where some ivy's made it up. In one or two places the ivy's quite well established. But now if I turn to my left, if I look south, I'm now looking at the north side of the beech trees. And they do look, the shape of course is identical, but the colours are radically different. Much, much, much darker. In some places approaching, um, well maybe black's a bit strong, but certainly a dark grey. And this is just many, many years of greater moisture levels. It's a, a mixture of lichens, algae, mosses, and just some degradation of the bark itself. Um, leads to that that different colour and it's amazingly effective um, compass so when I look towards the sun I'm having to squint a little bit because it's it's low but I can actually see the dividing line between light and dark and turning right turning north again just picking out a few white splotches of a lichen known as white paint lichen and there's a general rule with lichens, the brighter the colour, um, the more light uh, they've probably been getting. It's not a hard and fast rule, there are one or two exceptions. But lichens uh, don't really repay a lot of memorising names. There's too many of them, uh, thousands and thousands of them. Uh, about 16,000 last time I checked. But uh, there are a few sort of general rules we can hold on to. And if a, if a lichen looks like it's trying to give you light back, that's the way I think of it, it's a good sign that it's been getting lots of light uh, and therefore it's much more common on the brighter southern side of trees. Right, I'm just going to go silent for a bit as I do another scan. I've just been getting a feel for the, the sounds of the wood around me. There is many of the most likely birds. You can hear robins, blackbirds in the distance. I've heard a wood pigeon. Uh, but I've also heard uh, bumblebees. We're still very much in spring at the moment. Bumblebees in spring and bees in summer is a pretty good rule of thumb. And bumblebees are so so loud um, the other thing I'm noticing is this is a fantastic time of year to spot another thing that very very few people notice until they know to look for it and that's one of the early waves of spring in the trees now the beech canopy is just starting to break out there are definitely um, some early early leaves uh, at canopy level but much lower than that there are the the youngest trees and there are I can probably see well if I counted them at least a hundred 
beech trees that aren't a lot taller than me. Now many of those won't make it all the way but they give themselves their best chance by stealing a march on spring. So the, the younger shortest trees uh, come into leaf before the main canopy. So for the last three weeks or so uh, there have been plenty of leaves on these on these small trees. It's uh, it's like a sort of miniature forest, um, and it follows its own own timetable. A few weeks from now, the canopy will be in full um, you know full bloom, but um, and there'll be very little sunlight coming through it. But at this moment in time, we've got very thin upper canopy sun getting through it very easily but the the lowest trees have considered it spring for for a good few weeks already just watching the the eddies themselves we can't see the wind of course but when there's sunlight passing through woodland it gives you a a strange almost like extra dimension in your vision because there will always be small particles at certain times of the year you get lots of airborne seeds the fluffy seeds from thistles ragwort things like that but but always there's there are um, you know whether it's uh, small leaves or, or all sorts of things coming down off the trees and being picked up by the wind elsewhere and they're just mapping the air currents so there's a about 150 yards in front of me to the west there's a coniferous forest uh, there's spruces pines um, and a few firs as well and roughly halfway between here and there I can see the northerly current is making its way through the air because it's carrying all sorts of little particles I can't make out individually what they are and it doesn't really matter but they're just being carried as they drop making almost a straight line but then there's a place just beyond that where there's a very distinct wind eddy probably related to the edge of the much denser coniferous forest uh, and there the particles are not following anything close to a straight line and they're not doing a full circle either but there's a big banana curve as they as the wind grips them the wind always does strange things at the edge of a uh, woodland because of these eddies and it can have a, a concentrating effect you probably have seen that um, quite strange um, it's uh, I don't want to say it's like crop circles because it's uh, certainly not a work of aliens but if, you, if you're walking along the edge of a field and you just suddenly see a whole load of crops completely flattened you know perhaps about five metres wide and it looks, it, it looks like you know a human hand has been involved you just see these crops completely um, flattened pretty much to the ground and then right next to that it's almost in a straight line the crops are completely normal again that's actually a um, 
it's a combination of the wind eddying at the edge of woodland during a gale, but also being funnelled and concentrated in a very narrow band. And when, when combined with a bit of heavy rain during a gale or a storm, that has a sort of steamrolling effect on those crops. Happens near, well, happens next to our home in the, the farmer's field next to where we live probably once a year. Um, and, and the first couple of times I saw it, I thought, what, what's gone over there is, is a tractor or something, flattened their own crops. Um, uh, and it took me a while to speaking to the speaking to farmers and and to other um outdoors folk to to realize that it it is the wind that does that but it really doesn't look possible right i'm going to take another minute have a bit of a scan and see what i see something i've been trying to tune to over the past few weeks we're three and a half weeks into lockdown uh, as I record this is whether I can detect any changes in animal behaviour and I was a bit sceptical, I didn't think I would but there's one thing I have noticed that is definitely different and that is the um, behaviour of foxes now, foxes are one of the few creatures that I see less of than um, a lot of people living in towns and cities. Uh, a little bit like seagulls. Uh, seagulls used to clearly tell you you're near the coast. Uh, now they, <laughs> they're they a strong sign you're near a fruit and veg market in a big city. Um, or one of a hundred other places they're quite entrepreneurial creatures and foxes are similar they've worked out that this rural hunting business is a lean mean and business rather hard work whereas sneaking up and down streets in twilight and dark is a is a much more profitable venture so i can go even though i spend hundreds of hours outdoors I can go months without seeing a fox uh, but I have seen uh, two foxes in the last fortnight and that's not scientifically going to prove anything but it's it's odd enough as I say I can easily go six months without without setting eyes on one so I couldn't tell because it was fairly fleeting whether it was the same one really good sized um, one but I only caught a, a glimpse of it both times uh, but that I just I can't tie it to what the change in behaviour would be because funnily enough there are more people in the countryside well in this patch of West Sussex now than there would be particularly during the week uh, than there would be in the normal um, routine so it's not that the woods are suddenly empty far from it I just heard something there which is the sort of sound I don't ignore it's it's a classic background woodland sound I don't know if with the microphone will have picked up on it but it's the creak in uh, oh I can hear
hear it very faintly. I don't think the microphone's quite going to get it, but I can tell you about it. Um, yeah, it's just a creak in a in a beech tree's branches. I never um, I never ignore it. The chance of being hit by a a falling branch or tree is is so low that uh, it's genuinely not something I worry about. But um, it's more because it's great fun most of the time. Actually, if you if you manage to catch a big branch or even a whole tree coming down, it's so rare. But yeah, I mean beaches do it more than more than any other tree around here for where the beach's branches but um, yes that creek there is not the sound uh, most trees make so it's a, it's a sign of stress of some sort and this is actually I think quite a good time for a branch to come down there are different theories why beaches shed their their big branches more than many other species and one of them is to do with with this time of year the the rapid and dramatic changes in weights in the tree um, as the uh, as the as the canopy opens out the, the the ton tons and tons of weight shifting um, and I think Beaches, I think that the difference might be more dramatic than, than many other trees because they're quite good in dry soil, but they still have to get that water up and they still have to produce their thousands of leaves. Um, but for some reason they they shed quite a few branches at this time of year. Yeah, I can still hear it. It's a very odd creaky cracking sound is the only way I can put it, but it's too faint. I don't think it'll... I don't think it'll reach the microphone. Now on my seat, my high seat, I've deliberately pushed myself into the southern corner so that I'm naturally looking and scanning more to the north because that's where most of the wind is coming from it's the combination of me talking although I am trying to keep the volume down a bit but the combination of me talking and and my scent even if it is lifted a bit means it would have to be a pretty brazen large mammal to approach me from the south whereas from the north the, they'll pick up no scent at all unless, unless an eddy grabs hold of it but um, so that's my best chance of, of something coming for a wander. It is early. But they wouldn't be expecting me here at this time either. The mind games with the deer. Another interesting thing about the wind in woods is that it doesn't flow at equal speeds at all heights. There's a, there's a lower patch of woodland 
um, sort of the bottom sort of 12 to 20 feet really where the breeze finds it easier to get through because it's below the canopy some people call it the bulge um, and then if you go up a bit the, the wind speed drops dramatically because the branches and the leaves are, are damping it down but then you get anywhere near the tops uh, and it's another world again and that's that's what I'm I can feel at the moment that the, the breeze I'm just at the top of the bulge here and I can still feel the breeze but it's not moving the the branches even 10 feet above my head at all I mean the leaves are fluttering a tiny bit but the branches aren't moving whereas if I look to the tops of the trees themselves there's a wind there I wouldn't call it a breeze at all some proper swaying you may even may even be able to hear it Just watched a wood pigeon settle in a tree to the north of me, probably about 150 metres away. And uh, I think it clocked me. Just a feeling I've got from all its body language. But now it's, it's settled back into facing north. Something I, a lot of fun I had with the... Uh, the boys the other day is just showing them that we were in an open field and there were rooks and jackdaws swirling around landing on trees and then the field they're sort of late in the day sort of dance and it's really hard to predict the sorts of things that teenagers are going to find interesting and I, I generally start with the premise that <laughs> you're doing well if they do but uh, in nature things but they did really like there's something about prediction that that um, kids like. It's there's there's a sort of there's a sort of gamesmanship in it. You know, if you see a bird flying, and you say, "I know which way you're going to land." It's particularly satisfying if they're flying downwind because then they have to do a little U-turn at the end. And if you predict that, um, it's quite satisfying. So that's what that wood pigeon's done. Is it it naturally wants to face north, but I think I was close enough that it was it picked me up because I'm not being as subtle as I might right now. Something we all find ourselves doing towards the end of the day is wondering how long till sunset. That's especially true if you're interested in um, animal behaviours, but it's, it's fun at all times. And the rough rule of thumb, almost literally, is you stretch out your arm straight, make a fist with the thumb on top, and then you've got a, you're measuring roughly 10 degrees then. And you hold your fist on its side, so you're measuring 10 degrees vertically. And for every whole fist above the horizon, you've probably got an hour of sunlight now in that case your horizon can be the true horizon i.e. as if you're almost at sea there's nothing in the way at all or it can be a ridge line of a, a distant mountain or in my case it's the tops of the conifers to the west of me 
So I can say, well, near certainty, that the sun will dip below the conifers in one hour and ten minutes and set about three quarters of an hour after that. go quiet for a bit again see if I can pick something fun up there's a game I play with my two boys sometimes it's a very popular game the world over there's probably a thousand different versions of it it's a sort of elaborate form of hide and seek but the uh, the twist is that they know where I am they've got to get as close to me as they can without me spotting them oh wow not a giant branch but a small branch just came down just needed a small nudge from that gust but that creaking that unusual creaky cracky sound is still there um, yeah and I use this high seat for a game of that it's probably about about two weeks ago and the psychology is fascinating because I mean we talked about it the where I would expect them to come in is where I'd probably spend more time looking so do you then double bluff um, and we talked about the forest floor a bit and I I generally let them discover that sort of thing but I wanted to give them a, a fair sort of chance so I was talking about how the sound of the forest floor changes with colours and tree species quite quite a lot but also with the weather we've had one of the driest springs that I can think of certainly in the last decade that I can rem remember um, we've had one day of rain in the last three and a half four weeks I think um, uh, and that means that if you step on anything brown in this beech woodland it can be heard from quite often 100 metres away uh, possibly more if you're unlucky so as you move through the woods that's always a consideration it's always that balance outdoors you, d you don't want to miss you could in theory be looking for clues 30,000 feet up in a wisp of cirrus cloud or conceivably even many millions of miles away in a, in a star but you're, you're leaving a sort of sound footprint all around you and if you're staring at the skies and you step on a twig or a cluster of dried beech nut husks a small sort of sound bomb ripples out around you and that's eventually what gave them away they did a lot better than I thought they would actually because this is this is a bit a bit unfair on them. This high seat, as I can see, on average, probably 150 yards in all directions, except obviously straight back behind the tree, which was the direction they came from in the end. But then there was that crunch and crack. But I was pretty impressed actually. They did very well. Part of the psychology of that game is the uh, the time window. So I said there's there's a there's a two hour time window. 
If the time window is too small, it's impossible for the stalker, for the person trying to creep up to to get anywhere because you're you can be sort of hyper vigilant for a quarter of an hour. Um, but we're all human, and our guard will drop. So two hours is sort of fair. But then there's a fun psychology within that, which they'd worked out, which is that it has to be something of a double bluff to go very early, because again, we we all we're all quite alert at the beginning of any exercise, but you can't leave it to the last quarter of an hour either, because then um, the the windows artificially narrowed, you're you're going to get caught. But that leads you to sort of believe that the middle somewhere is the most likely. But <laughs> so then that's when I'm perking up as well. So that I thought their timing was brilliant. They went, I think it was about an hour and a quarter into the two-hour window, very roughly, which is probably about the time I, I would have picked as well. But if I'm ever playing this game with you, I'll remember I've said that, so I'll come at a different time, just when you're least expecting it. Just having a look at the edge of that coniferous wood and there are always interesting things at the edges of woods. Um, sometimes they try and blend in but there's a, a really contorted, twisted um, young beech tree there, maybe 30 years old. Looks like it had a good old wrestle with something like honeysuckle a couple of decades ago. I can't see any honeysuckle on it now, so it's one. The animals aren't immune to the sounds they make on the woodland floor either. And that's quite often when I pick up that something's nearby. What I find is that the deer can move very quietly if they're comfortable. But if something else spooks them, they quite often move away from that. And they there's a lot of, if they're in the trees, there's a lot of snapping of branches. But even if they're in the slightly more open area beneath the beach canopy um, there's the, the odd crunch there it always stops suddenly because they're always bolting and then stopping a shift in the wind direction might be a little battle between bigger eddies going on but the other thing that can happen here at the end of the day is that the during the day there's a sea breeze which um, on a sunny day happens all over every coastal um, region the sun heats up the land 
the air above that heats, expands, um, becomes less dense and rises. Uh, and that leaves a gap, a vacuum, just above the, the coastal land. And the cooler, denser air over the sea flows in to fill that. And that can, that can take place over two kilometres, or in theory, 50, even, even in theory up to 100, although that would need um, all the pieces to be perfect. Uh, but but we're, um, we're well within the band of a, a sea breeze here. I mean, in April, it's, the sun's just strong enough for us to be getting it. It's much more common in summer, for obvious reasons. But if you do notice a sudden wind shift um, in the middle or the end of the day, then it can be the sea breeze kicking in or or dying down. Sometimes you don't notice the breeze itself. You notice its effect on, on the things going on around you. So on a day like today, where it's very settled weather, we'd expect the breeze to be fairly fairly dependable I mean high pressures can be a bit variable but um, that's all I can think of at the moment that that would explain a, a shift like that because it's been coming from it was from the north for the first sort of half an hour or so that I was up here and, but more recently it's definitely got some east in it right now I'm feeling it from the northeast and that's not just an eddy, that's, that's, that's been five minutes of that now. I very nearly um, fell into a, a trap I was talking about of not properly shifting my gaze from the distance to, to much closer. And it's quite a fun little clue on the rest at the edge of this high seat. Now, I shouldn't be up here in theory. I know the ranger well enough, he'll forgive me, but um, it's his seat and it is used for deer culling. And I think I can see where the rifle is rested most often. It's not in the middle. There's a little bit on the uh, southwestern corner, but much, much more actually on the northwestern corner so the right hand corner as I'm I'm looking out which if I was a gambling man would make me think that the favorite spot for the deer to appear is in the the northwest but then maybe the ones that appear there have all taken a round Something I've really noticed over the last 20 minutes is the temperature drop. And this is one of the most um, dramatic times of year for that. We can go from what feels like a, a summer day in the middle of an April day. And uh, it can occasionally be dangerous. People get lulled into a full sense of security. I've, I've certainly... Um, I've certainly been shocked, even being aware of the changes that are possible. Um, 
in spring and to a lesser degree in autumn. In spring, well at this, this particular moment, what's happening is that the sun goes down but there are no clouds. So at the end of the day, the two things that um, we need to think about if we want to understand how the temperature is going to change are in terms of landscape are the, uh, the, the tree cover uh, and the wind exposure. Um, the layer above that is, is the clouds. So those, those, those three things can have a really um, dramatic impact on your experience of temperature. So we were certainly felt like not far off 20 degrees Celsius at about lunchtime today but because the tree canopy isn't properly out yet the sun's going down there's a good enough breeze to to circulate the air and there are no clouds above I think we've probably lost 10 degrees already um, it's quite easy to uh, to exaggerate that when you're sitting still in it, but um, that's what it feels like to me. Can have some quite surprising um, and counterintuitive impacts. These sorts of things. Most people prefer camping in the open to camping under trees, but if you get up in the morning in March and April. You quite often spot that there's a deep hard frost all around the open areas and the second you step under a tree all the frost is gone. You can find it's four or five degrees warmer under the trees even sort of a few yards away from you. But yes, this same day in midsummer would feel different for lots of reasons. The air masses themselves would be warmer, so the air all around would would have more heat in it. Um, but as the sun goes down, the canopy is going to keep a lot of that heat in for, for quite a lot longer. The wind's going to struggle to get in. Yeah, we get our big temperature variations in these these shoulder seasons. very fast if there's another one out there I'd expect to hear a bark to hear 
Hi there. That's so often the case. The speed that deer was moving at was not its natural relaxed. I'm going for a snuffle about in the woods type speed. Something had uh, spooked it. And that something just went past a couple of a couple of mountain bikes. And that is the sort of very simple sort of causal link that so much of outdoors awareness hinges upon. Strangely, earlier today I was writing in my uh, cabin at the edge of this these woods. And it was, uh, I got such a shock. A, uh, there was a massive bang, and then I, I, I sort of jumped backwards in my chair because it was, it was the window only about three feet from my face. Um, and it took me probably only about a second, but it was a long second to realise what had happened, which is a, a song thrush had hit the window at, at what must have been near full speed, poor thing. Um, I could even see the tiny little feathers still stuck to the window. And I went out, but I knew what I'd find, which was the last minute of the bird's life. As it, it, was, uh, it was trying to call, and uh, it was kicking its legs. It was lying on its back. And um, I was about to try and muster the courage to dispatch it, which is not something I find um, easy, even though I've had to do it a fair few times but I knew it it was suffering terribly and didn't stand a chance but I was quite grateful that it died a few seconds later um, but as that happened and as I was um, watching the, the bird lose its life I could hear the alarm calls all around me and the, the two things were very much connected you know, birds are obviously incredible flyers and they're very savvy about their landscape as well so when they do something like fly full speed into a building um, even a window it's normally not a case that they've got things completely mixed up and um, it's normally a case of having made a mistake in um, at a time of great stress and urgency um, so there was something up there some hawk or something similar if I'm honest I don't know a song thrush is vulnerable to but there's you know I don't think there, there's no doubt in my mind that the two things are connected all those alarm calls um, uh, whether it was a cat potentially um, I honestly don't know what the cause was but um, there was something out there that was causing all the alarm calls in the birds around me and caused the the um, song thrush to go into the window and, and lose its life and that's that's what we've just seen there is the the, the speed that the roe deer was moving at was a sign of something out there um, I couldn't tell by looking at the deer exactly what it was but I did get a sense that it was um, it was bolting I was focusing as I saw it I was hoping to catch a, a bark um, on, the, on the recording that would tell us that there was another one out there I'm quite, I'm quite happy to have spotted that, that solitary roe deer, um, because it's, it's a bit of a toss of a coin at, at this at this time. If we came back out here, 
in another hour. It's much more of a no such thing as a dead serp. It's much more likely we would have seen one. But I quite like it. It's a, there's a reason people love things like fly fishing and things like that, where the odds are against you. Things have to go your way, and it just feels that little bit more special when you do do make a sighting. But I don't think we would have seen it if there weren't um, those mountain bikes there. I think it would have kept cover for longer. But as the heat radiates out of the land through the tops of the trees that haven't got their canopy duvet over them yet, um, I think I'm going to call that a call that a day there and just enjoy that that sighting. It's a much happier example of something that I saw earlier in the day. Um, I wasn't going to actually mention the song thrush because it was still um, not the happiest tale of of the day but the the roe deer um, was under no threat from the the mountain bikers Uh, so until next time on the pursuit of outdoor clues uh, I hope you enjoyed that I hope you're keeping safe um, in these very tricky times Uh, and even though we can't cover great distances at the moment um, we can have a lot of satisfaction and fun by by noticing the clues and signs out there so happy navigating on those those mini expeditions uh, and do send me any clues or signs that you spot until the next time thanks a lot for listening goodbye